Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. One, two, three. Okay, doors closed. Come on over here. Let's let's do an episode. Here's some things we've learned about Ecuador since we've been here. Um, so one of the things that's different is they deliver canisters of propane. Um, and what they do is they drive around with a truck of these canisters. And if you need propane, right. you just you run out and you go, oh, yes, hello. It, this is for me. Thank you. I'd like some of that. And they drive around the neighborhood blaring music through a loudspeaker, much like an ice cream truck in the U.S. That's how you know they're in your neighborhood. Yeah. And the song goes a little something like this. So you might hear that during the broadcast. We're not sure, <laughs> even though this really isn't a broadcast, but for lack of a better word. And for your years of it being burned into your skull as <laughs> yeah. what you're doing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, I got a mic in front of me. I'm broadcasting. Right. Broadcasting live. Here's something else I've learned uh, here in Ecuador. Spaghetti sauce comes in bags. Sometimes. Yeah. So does milk. Milk comes in bags. Yeah. And, and in Canada. And you didn't know that, which is so weird to me. I lived in Canada. I never saw milk in bags, but uh, I'm not doubting your word on it. I'm sure that's the case. They also don't refrigerate it. Right. Here. It's or just, eggs. You just see eggs and bags of milk, like in the aisle next to the cereal. One of those things we're getting used to. I'm also getting used to delicious empanadas. I had one yesterday. It was Venezuelan style and fried. Anything that's that's got pastry and cheese and it's deep fried, I'm, I'm in. It makes up for the spaghetti sauce in bags. Well, here's a story for you. Oh, good. William the Conqueror. What, how much do you know about William the Conqueror? Not much. Billy is what his family called him. Billy the Conqueror? Yeah. yeah. Other than that, not, yeah. not a lot. Yeah. Well, William the Conqueror was born as a, as they say, quote, illegitimate son of Duke Robert I of Normandy. He lived a life strewn with adversities and regrets, 
culminating in, well, a very undignified end. Okay. He wasn't always known as William the Conqueror. No, Billy. That's like I said. God, you never listen to me. <laughs> he was he was known as Billy the Conqueror later in his life. Uh, he started life with a far less impressive moniker. He was known as William the Bastard. Oh, no, no. Yeah, because of his birth circumstances. However, a far graver trial awaited for Billy, if you will, when at just eight years old, he was thrust into leadership upon his father's untimely death. At eight? Eight years old, he I became really king. I think that's irresponsible. It's no way to run a country. This transition led uh, Normandy into the throes of a civil war, and that left some stains on William's formative years, mostly violence and treachery. Um, did it also leave some stains on his pants? Yeah, we'll get to that. Boy, did it. William's tenure in Normandy was far from smooth. He was confronted by a rebellion that was headed by his own cousin. William's response was quick and brutal. He maimed the rebels by chopping off their hands and feet. The worst thing that my cousins ever did was not invite me on their walks after dinner. So William's claim to the English throne was another point of contention. Despite believing he was the rightful heir, King Edward of England had some other plans. Now, this is because of his bastardness? No, because King Edward was king. He wanted to stay king. And William said, no, I want to be king of England as well. Oh, I see. This resulted in William having to wage a bloody war at Hastings to seize the crown. Which is where the pant stains came in to play. Yes, in one of the times. His ascension to the English throne brought little relief, though. He was dubbed a tyrant by most people, actually. William's rule was punctuated by acts of extreme violence. And perhaps this war in Hastings was one of the one of the worst, one of the most notorious. Along with the harrying of the North, this merciless campaign saw villages reduced to ashes and innocent civilians just massacred. And it pushed it, it got so bad it pushed the survivors to such desperation that they resorted to cannibalism. Oh. So he was a fun guy. Sure. As the wheel of time turned and the pressures of rule weighed heavily on little Billy, who wasn't really little anymore, he found solace in lavish feasts of the royal court. I get it. These indulgences, while befitting a king, were no friend to William's physique or his health. The dishes, of course, rich in fats and sugars, Paired with fine wines and hearty ales became a regular staple in William's diet. With each passing year, the once robust and fearsome warrior transformed his silhouette into uh, something a little bit more portly, shall we say. It became a ticking time bomb for his health. Mobility became an issue, and the once agile conqueror now struggled with even basic physical endeavors. Ultimately, it would pave the way to a very unfortunate end. Okay. Now, I was going to interject and say weight doesn't determine health, but I can see now with your further explanations Mm -hmm. that, in fact, his health was affected. Yeah, it was. 
Do you have any information about what kinds of foods that he had at his feast? Because it's almost lunchtime and I'm <laughs> feeling a little peckish. And if you wanted to get into detail, I'd be into it. I'm sure lots of quail. Oh. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just, I assume he was a quail guy. Is quail a dark meat bird? I think so. Yeah, like duck. Maybe. Sounds that yeah. way, yeah. Anyway, one fateful day, while leading a campaign against his own son, Robert, Ooh. in France... A seemingly mundane incident would set in motion the events leading to William's death. He was astride his trusted steed, and an unexpected abrupt movement by the horse caused the saddle to violently jam into William's abdomen. What might have been a minor injury to a man who was younger and fitter became a catastrophic wound for the king who, again, could have been in better shape. The sheer force of the jolt resulted in a devastating puncture to his intestines. Oof. Yeah. That sounds unpleasant. The internal damage was both severe and also, I, I would imagine, excruciating. So instead of being on a battlefield, William found himself in a different war. A battle for his life. Over the span of six, six agonizing weeks... What began as a routine horse ride morphed into a tragic spectacle. He was surrounded by knights and nobles and clergy, and the mighty William the Conqueror, once the unstoppable force of England and Normandy, was reduced to a state of frailty and suffering, eventually succumbing to his grievous injuries. Well, my first thought when you describe an injury like that is sepsis. Yeah, I'm sure that that's what took hold. It had to have. Now, as I said, he was a he was a pretty bad dude. L bad like George Thorogood bad? No, or bad, bad like... The bad like pushing villagers to the point where they, you know, cannibalize. Yeah. yeah. And to add insult to his injury, a fabricated confession was attributed to William on his deathbed, painting him as deeply remorseful for his violent reign. But modern historians cast a lot of doubt on the uh, authenticity of that account. So he's dead. And that's bad enough. But in death, as in his final years of life, William the Conqueror faced trials that seemed to challenge the very legacy he strived to create. Oh, no. The immediate aftermath of his passing was full of disregard and neglect. The nobility, who in his prime vied for William's attention and favor, now really didn't give a shit. Um, they, they stripped him naked, his dead body naked, and left his lifeless body just lying on the floor, naked. And then they just left. They ab abandoned? Yep. Okay. Yep. Bereft of his kingly dignity and honor that had defined him, William's corpse was relegated to the slow and unrelenting process of decay. So amid this sad spectacle, one guy emerged to attempt to restore some semblance of respect to the departed king. Sir Herlewin, a knight whose honor seemed untainted by the opportunistic retreat of his peers, took upon himself the daunting task of restoring some dignity to the, to the king. Determined to see the conqueror laid to rest with due reverence, he arranged for William's body to be transported to its intended resting place in Caen. Where they do the movie showing thing? Yeah. 
Okay. However, the journey was far from straightforward. The initial challenges presented by a decomposing corpse were just the beginning. Sure, juicy. As the procession arrived at Khan, it was met with an unexpected catastrophe. They they brought him in. They figured, okay, now we're we're going to have this funeral for our late king. But before they could really get the thing going, a fire erupted in the city, consuming the in- attention of the mourners and uh, the broader populace in general. Many who had come to pay respects were now diverted to combat the raging flames. Well, I mean, it was good they were in town so that they could at least help with the firefighting. Right, there were some extra people there. The occasion normally would be solemn, uh, but it was fractured and replaced by urgency and chaos created by this blaze. And this caused an even further delay to the king's interment. Now, remember, he's, uh, he's pretty juicy. Yeah. But even as the fire was extinguished, yet another obstacle arose causing still more delays. During the funeral service, a local man interrupted the proceedings. He just stood up and started yelling and claiming that the very land upon which they sought to inter the late king was or had been unjustly taken from his family. So instead of like solemn prayers and eulogies that one might expect at a monarch's funeral, mm-hmm. the church echoed with legal debates and clamorous disputes. I mean, that's fair. If the land was stolen, then... After protracted negotiations, the man was actually compensated right there in the church. Really? And finally, the ceremony got underway. In the somber ambience of the cathedral, as mourners gathered to bid farewell, a scene worthy of a Python-esque medieval farce was about to unfold. William, ever the larger-than-life figure in his reign, seemed to have taken that phrase, growing in stature, a tad too literally in death. As the attendants approached the tomb, eager to give the late king a fitting send-off, they faced a unique issue that no one, it seems, had anticipated. So picture this. Beautiful cathedral, dead king, a regal sarcophagus, painstakingly crafted, lay open and ready. But as they tried to place William's body within, it became evident that the king, because of all the delays, was experiencing massive post-mortem bloating to his already rotund physique. I really thought you were going to talk about Angel's Lust. I'm going to do a whole topic on that. He was not about to fit into the sarcophagus without a squabble. It was kind of like trying to squeeze a full-grown walrus into a toddler's bassinet. The word toddler is just funny. Yeah, that was what was funny there. Definitely the word toddler. The chapel, once filled with hushed and respectful whispers now echoed with the sound of grunts and murmurs and I would imagine probably some suppressed laughter as well. So here they are trying to stuff this bloated corpse into a sarcophagus that's too small when the unimaginable happened. With one final ill-advised grunting push, the pressure within William's now over-robust form had reached its limit. Suddenly, without warning, The king's intestines exploded, splattering nearby mourners and onlookers with a foul-smelling brackish goo. I imagine it was much like a Gallagher concert in a fiery theater in hell, which, by the way, I hear is sold out. The cathedral was enveloped in an an aroma so potent that it uh, could very well have been weaponized, I, I would imagine. It was the kind of smell that evoked memories of 
long-forgotten latrine duties, mixed with low tide and a hint of baloney. Why would you imply Gallagher's in hell? Priests, nobles, and onlookers alike were likely debating the merits of a swift exit versus a final prayer for mm. the king. Uh, with haste that would have impressed even the most seasoned of sprinters, the rituals were expedited. Everybody was pretty eager to get the hell out of there. Mm. Thus, William the Conqueror's posthumous journey mirrored the trials of his life, a series of challenges, confrontations, unexpected calamities culminating in a departure from the world that was as complex and tumultuous as his reign and far more stinky. And even in death, William found no sanctuary. His tomb was desecrated multiple times over the years, leaving only a thigh bone as a testament to this once powerful king. And that's where we get the phrase, left with a solo femur. I always wondered where that phrase came from. Mm. Picturing the exploding body in the funeral, I, I think of Mr. Creosote from uh, of Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. It's, it's with a thin. This whole thing really is. It's a combination of the meaning of life and the Holy Grail. Mm. Run away. Anyway, if you're ever at a funeral where that happens, stay away from the buffet. Bring a poncho. I got my information from Mental Floss, All That's Interesting, and Historic UK. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
when I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Mohammed Ali Pasha was the Albanian Ottoman governor and the de facto ruler of Egypt from 1805 to 1848. At the height of his rule, he controlled all of Egypt and Sudan. In the early 1800s, he ordered the pyramids to be disassembled and their blocks to be used to build dams on the Nile. The chief architect personally opposed it but knew he'd be replaced if he defied orders. So he prepared a false cost analysis showing that freshly quarried stone would cost less. And in the process, save the pyramids. We got a message from TJ, short and sweet. Guys, we did it. I ordered HelloFresh. I'm a chef now. (laughs) Well, congratulations on that. Oh, that hurt my back, but it was funny. (laughs) Astra sent us a message. I was listening to box 569, wherein JG was talking about the Willard Asylum, the suitcase story. Mm. Kat, at one point you asked if you were able to see the artifacts they discovered. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and about 10 years ago, the Exploratorium actually did an exhibit about understanding mental health, and and they actually included some of the artifacts that were discovered in the former institute. Words fail to describe the overwhelming sense of sadness and anger that welled up inside me, seeing these precious items packed by people, some of whom never even knew they were being taken away permanently and be shut away from society. It really was a glimpse into the beautifully complex humanity of people, as told by the objects they considered precious, and reminds me that we still have so far to go to understand people we consider different or difficult. We need to do better. Keep it up, beautiful freaks. Astra. Thanks, Astra. I wanted to real quick thank everyone who sent JG birthday wishes. Yeah, thank you. Oh my gosh, such sweetness poured out of you people. Uh, it was juicy and I liked it. <laughs> and uh, I just, you know, it made his day a little bit more special and it was because of you and yeah, I like that. Yeah, it was, it was really, really nice. I appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. We had a nice day. It was a nice day. I drew a picture of you on a scooter. That's pretty much what you got for your birthday, was a picture of you on a scooter. It was very lifelike. Yeah, your skin is turquoise because I don't have like a beige or a brown marker. I attribute it to altitude sickness. Yeah. (laughs) Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Okay, so you remember when we had cats um, and you never cleaned the litter box? Right, because they were your cats. Right, even though we had a shared household. Mm, and But you had them before we had the shared household, so... Yeah, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, um, we've all heard that those who are preggers should avoid changing your cat's litter box, right? Right. Okay, so according to the CDC, um, just it's best to avoid it if you can, but if nobody else can... And perform the task for you to wear gloves and wash your hands with soap and water afterwards. It's also advised that you change your cat litter box every day. Uh, do not feed your cats raw or undercooked meats. Keep the cats inside. Avoid stray cats. And avoid digging your hands around in sandboxes. You yeah, know, you know that's just good advice. I, I agree. I, I remember agree. as a kid, we my, my mom and dad made a great big sandbox outside for my sister and I. Mm. And it just became a giant litter box for all of the neighborhood felines. Of course it did. Mm -hmm. If you have a sandbox, absolutely keep it covered yeah. when your children aren't playing in it. It's just for the best, really, whether you're hosting a spawn or not. It was like a really gross archaeological dig. <laughs> Now, the reason that we have these rules, uh, or recommendations rather, is because of something called Toxoplasma gondii. And it's a parasite that can infect humans as well as many other warm-blooded animals. But cats are the primary hosts for this parasite. Now, Toxoplasma... <laughs> That's so hard to say. The parasite Toxoplasma gondii infects a wide range of mammals and birds, but the sexual part of its life cycle only unfolds in cats. Now, the relationship between toxoplasmosis caused by this parasite and human behavior is still a subject to scientific investigation and debate. What do you mean by that? Nah, we're getting into it. The effects of toxoplasma are likely to be influenced by various factors, including immune response, genetic predisposition, and environmental factors. The specific mechanisms through which the parasite might 
influence human behavior are still not well understood. But some studies have found associations between toxoplasma infection and changes in human behavior. Some studies have suggested that toxoplasma infection may be associated with alterations in behavior such as increased risk-taking tendencies, slower reaction times, and potential changes in personality traits. Who would have thought that the zombie apocalypse would be caused by a litter box? I've been in some people's homes before that uh, did not follow the CDC's guidelines about changing the box every day. And Did it smell like William the Conqueror's funeral? Some studies suggest that this parasite has been suggested to manipulate behavior of its hosts, including humans, in order to increase the chance of transmission. This theory gained momentum in 2009 when UK researchers discovered the parasite's genome contains instructions for manufacturing the building blocks of dopamine, a mood-boosting and fear-squelching natural chemical. Two years later, the same group found that dopamine floods the brains of infected mice when in contact with what I'm going to start calling as Toxogo. And some studies have found a correlation between the infection and increased attraction or affinity toward cats. That's fascinating. Infection might turn what is normally a risk-averse mouse into a bold, cat-seeking rodent. It's another example of parasite brain manipulation. We've talked before about the parasitic wasp. Oh, yeah, that's... that still gives me nightmares. Yeah, it's a little... And then I was reading about a worm that's infected with a parasite that the parasite then tricks the worm into going into a pond so that then the parasite can spawn in the pond, like that's where it wants to be. So it just hitches a ride in the worm, but makes the worm go there. Normally, the toxoplasma life cycle will begin in a mouse or a rat. Cats prey on rodents and giving that parasite a way to reach the cat gut is kind of the goal. The reason that the parasite wants to get into the cat gut is it's the only known place where the parasite can reproduce. Cat guts are rich in linoleic acid, an ingredient necessary for toxoplasma gondii sex. <laughs> cat guts are filled with parasite lube. <laughs> parasite lube. However, it is important to note that the effects of ToxoGo on human behavior are complex and not fully understood and blah, blah, blah. While some studies have found associations between the parasite and changes in behavior, some attribute the crazy cat lady persona to ToxoGo. Really? Increased risk-taking, a slowed reaction time, and an increased likelihood of being involved in traffic accidents. Okay, that's just weird. A personality questionnaire has indicated that men infected with ToxoGo might display higher levels of jealousy while infected, and that women who are infected may exhibit more warmth in their behavior. This may be a result of the parasite seeking the opportunity to reproduce. A testosterone-filled male and a sauced-up female are more likely to find each other and breed, hence spreading the parasite. Remind me not to use the word hence anymore. It, it felt weird. In addition, there have been reports suggesting a potential link between ToxoGo infection and higher rates of psychosis. But of course, that is a very delicate thing and it hasn't been proven and it's important to proceed with caution when discussing those kinds of links because it might be a correlation, not causation kind of thing. 
Now, of course, the effects of ToxoGo infection on human behavior are complex and multifaceted, and they're influenced by a variety of factors, genetic predisposition, as I mentioned, and environmental factors. And to fully understand it, further research obviously is necessary. Most researchers state that any effects, if any, of toxoplasma infection on an individual's affinity for cats are likely to be subtle and influenced by other factors. Much of the research on ToxoGo was conducted on rodents. And as we've discussed before, studies have shown that rodents and people are in fact different. <laughs> the research initially indicated that infected hosts exhibit reduced movement and anxiety, along with a peculiar attraction to the smell of cat urine. What? Yeah. That is, I think, one of the most disagreeable smells I can think of, mm. next to low tide and a hint of baloney. <laughs> of course, it seems that those would be beneficial to the parasite because it would increase the likelihood of its transmission through predation. However, according to some, upon closer examination, the criteria needed to definitively conclude that ToxoGo has evolved the trait of manipulation are not fully satisfied. Numerous studies have reported minimal effects on behavior or changes in behavior that are unrelated to the chances of being consumed by a cat. These behavioral changes include alterations in social interactions, which don't really directly support the idea of ToxoGo evolving into a mind control parasite. But I would say increasing the likelihood that someone likes the smell of cat piss is pretty mind controlling. <laughs> Rather, the studies show, uh, according to some, that rodents with parasite just do weird things. Now, in fact, there is little genetic mixing in these parasites uh, when looking at the lineages, which seems like a weird job to look at the ancestry of parasites. But anyway, according to Scientific American, this means that the parasite seems to be doing just fine without having sex in cat guts, that it is reproducing asexually. Therefore, it's not really having a problem breeding, which means it wouldn't need to mind control. Well, that's a relief, I think. As a result, doubts have been cast upon the notion that ToxoGo has a specific evolution that has made it manipulating on your brains. The relationship between the parasite and its potential influence on behavior remains, of course, a complex and ongoing area of research that requires further investigation. Ultimately, the love for cats is influenced by, you know, personal preferences, experiences, and cultural factors, rather than a parasite taking over your brain. Probably. But the numbers are still out. We're yeah, not, that's we're right. Not, There's not still a chance. Wash your hands. That's just good advice. <laughs> yeah. I got my information from the CDC, LiveScience.com, BrainFacts.org, and the National Library of Medicine. The idea of a parasite, first of all, having a parasite, that just, yeah, right, right. But the idea that that parasite can control your behaviors is horrifying. Right. I mean, this is a pretty innocuous one as far as like, you just like cats. Yeah. Where does, where does it go from there though? First you like cats, then you want to bury your face in a cat box because you love the smell. Next thing you know, you're eating your neighbor. <laughs> that's what happens. Mm, yep. That seems like a logical conclusion. Zombie apocalypse. <laughs> anyway, we should wrap this up because I 
I hear the gas truck coming. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.